Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. And I'm joined, as always, by Managing Editor Andrea Lopez Villafaña. What is up, Lopez? ¿Qué pasa, Lewis? Aquí estamos. <laughs> uh, Andy Keats is off this week. He's in the great state of Maryland. Hope he's okay. Probably getting a sunburn. He doesn't believe in sunblock. One of his, one of his takes. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's one of his oh takes. My God. <laughs> Coming up on the show this week, I caught up with our favorite local immunologist, Shane Crotty. There's lots of local immunologists. I'm sure they're great people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Shane has given us so much of his time from the Crotty Lab at the La Jolla Institute. He explained some of the science about COVID now, as we've seen it, and the uh, Omicron variant and its horrible little children, as he oh. called them. So he. <laughs> He science-splained me some things, some terms I hadn't heard before, and I asked him to define. And obviously, I know you guys are waiting for it, and you've been just waiting for the Voice of San Diego take on this week's big news from City Hall. The city decided to buy 101 Ash Street outright and another tower, all to settle at least part of a lawsuit the city attorneys filed, and the city attorney absolutely does not want to settle. We will break down one big reason why they really wanted to do this settlement. And finally, South Bay is getting fiery with its politics. We've talked a lot about the Chula Vista mayor's race. Well, the mayor's race in National City is getting intense. We're going to explain why that is interesting. And then there's some South Bay mayors that are fired up about the beach water quality testing we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. We're going to break that down. That's all coming up. Stay with us. You, this week, are flying to the National Association of Hispanic Journalists Conference in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. It's going to require you, though, to get on a plane. Are you okay? 
Define okay. (laughs) (laughs) I am surprised nobody's reached out to you with like advice about how to handle your fear of flying uh, and or different medications you might take. (laughs) Well, as we've, you know, mentioned in the podcast, or like Andy likes to call me a professional pedestrian. Yes. I prefer to have my feet on the ground at all times. All times. Um, And I absolutely hate flying. I have made the flight from San Diego to Las Vegas. So it's literally like one of the easiest flights. I guess you can fly to uh, Los Angeles. Might be a little easier. Yeah. But there's very few places you could fly here to that are easier than Vegas. Yeah, it's a it's it's pretty quick. It like, you know, you're off the ground and then you're back on the ground. Yeah. But even just thinking about it is really terrifying. Uh one time I flew to Florida and I decided like I'm just going to live the rest of my life in Florida because I don't <laughs> want to fly back. It was so terrifying. Um I did watch YouTube videos on how airplanes work and um that kind of eased my anxiety. So I might do that. But if anyone else has any recommendations, I welcome them. Oh, okay. Inbox. So you you were just concerned it was like a magic that you didn't understand before and now you understand. A little, yeah. Okay. But it was still still scary. Um what do you hope to achieve at the National Association of Hispanic Journalists? You're going to are you going to take over that operation too? <laughs> I just take over the world. Yeah. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to networking with different individuals. Um, I really look forward to like different workshops. So I'm hoping that there are some leadership ones that I can tap into. Uh, definitely talk a lot about Voice of San Diego. So I'll be carrying my business cards, but it'll be weird. Um, they we had to go through like a whole process because it's a big convention. It's not just NHJ convention, but it's also NABJ. So uh, the Black Journalist Association and the Hispanic Journalist Association. So it's a big, big convention. It's at Caesars Palace. They weren't expecting as many people that signed up for it. So now they've decided that not only do we need to show proof of vaccination, but we're also going to wear our face masks anytime we're like at any session. Um, this doesn't apply to other people in the casino. It just applies to people at the conference. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, I like wearing my face mask. I, it's okay it's for me, but um, it'll be interesting in terms of like networking and yeah. like picking up on <laughs> people. I used to say I liked it and it was fine and I can't say that anymore. I'm so tired of it, but <laughs> I get it. Uh, that's a good segue to the karate interview, right? So I did... I was hearing so much and I was having a conversation with my friend and he's like, I just got COVID. I can't get it again. And I was like, I'm not sure if that's true because mm-hmm. a lot of people are getting it. I've heard now from another friend who got it th- third time. <laughs> that's crazy. And, and he's, and she's, she's been vaccinated, you know, the whole way, the whole mm-hmm. booster and everything. And she's got three times. So I was like, what are we doing here? What is this virus anyway? It's, it's obviously the vaccine. It's not effective at stopping infections. So, these kinds of, you know, requirements to be vaccinated to go places, it really doesn't matter as far as stopping infections, it feels like. So I, I wanted to ask Crotty a few of these things. And he he really, like I said, science explained a lot of these points. So one of the points he made is that to stop an actual infection, mm-hmm. you have to have the antibodies that are created from having an infection or from uh, vaccination in your nose and throat and, and mouth so that they can attack the virus the moment it comes in, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to stop it. Now, the the vaccination and stuff that you have will still be in your body mm-hmm. to stop the the disease from getting like, into your lungs and making it a bad thing, like like that actually threatens your life. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to stop the actual infection. And in fact, 
this virus has morphed so much that it is now super good at, at, at avoiding what's called the innate immunity, mm-hmm. where like that's the immunity that kicks in the moment it senses something's wrong. It starts your sneezing reflex. It starts coughing and stuff like that. And so this virus is super good at getting into your nose or into your throat and just kind of like hiding for like a few days. And then it spreads. And that's why there's all these asymptomatic folks that can like spread the virus for a oh, while wow. before like they actually feel sick. Mm-hmm. And so they create these like, he explained it really well, like this little membrane around itself to kind of hide from all this innate immune reaction. And so his point was basically like, yeah, if you get one of these stepchildren or whatever of Omicron, mm-hmm. you're probably going to be have some of those antibodies in your nose and throat for a while just a few weeks because it takes your body's it takes so much energy for your body to maintain all those antibodies in your nose and mouth that over just a few weeks it'll it'll come away so you can still get the same thing mm-hmm. within just a few weeks after that so i asked him like one of the things i've been struck about is the numbers so the hospitalization numbers are about where they were around this time in 2020 mm-hmm. so the number of people in hospitals with covid is about that same level. But the number of people in ICUs fighting for their lives with COVID is like a third or a fourth what it was, but then it's like 40 to like 160 or 200, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, far fewer basically people are having these like super severe severe problems with COVID than they were. And so I was looking at that. I'm like, does that mean like we can start to think of this as less like this really uniquely dangerous like life-threatening virus or can we start to think of it more as like just a thing we have to deal with Mm -hmm. and he said two things that i thought were interesting one is it's it's somewhere in the middle it's not like it was but it's still not something that we have a stable relationship with and he's basically saying like it's bad enough and it's not endemic we can't call it endemic because we don't have a stable relationship with it Mm -hmm. it keeps changing and causing these waves and until it stops changing and causing these waves and until we can get ahead of it with more vaccination or better vaccinations or whatever, it's going to be this kind of unstable relationship with it for a while. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, and uh, uh, so check it out. Go to voicesandiego.org. I tried to write every day this week because I was having like yeah, a, too little, much. <laughs> a, little, a little bit of a writer's Well, too much. You liked it though. Sorry. Yeah, right. I do like it. I'm like, what the heck? I have too many stories, guys. <laughs> So I did that and uh, I did another piece about what we're going to talk about in a minute about 101 Ash. And uh, so check those out, voicesandiego.org. Lopez, how excited are our fans for this section? They're super excited. They've been following this since day one. And, you know, I think uniquely suited to handle some of these things as they came up, right? Mm-hmm. They saw they saw ahead yeah. of people who don't spend the time to think about these things as well as our fans do. Or listen to the Voice of San Diego podcast. Precisely. Or consume any Voice of San Diego thing. Precisely. <laughs> so they knew that this might happen and why one of the reasons this week happened. So let's mm-hmm. get into it. The city decided, city council at the mayor's urging and with the city attorney's opposition, city mm-hmm. council decided to settle the lawsuit that the city attorney and the city filed against Sistera Development and CJA Capital, the investors in Sistera's operations, mm-hmm. to 
essentially have the city buy these two buildings we've been talking about for so long, 101 Ash Street and Civic Center Plaza, adjacent to City Hall, and settle that part of, of their legal disputes and move on at least with that part of their lives. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people didn't want them to do it, and a lot of people did want them to make this decision. Right. And I think our audience and we were some of the few who recognized right from the beginning why they wanted to do this, mm-hmm. why they wanted to settle this lawsuit. It's because they really wanted those buildings. Right. So let's dial back, shall we? Yes. Explain. All right. Backpedal. The lawsuit was the city's lawsuit against these two companies, Sistera Development and CGA Capital. And the argument that the city made was that they leased to own, the city leased to own these two buildings, and that they were essentially defrauded and that the other side had a, a illegal conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. And that illegal conflict of interest was that the broker that had long offered the city real estate advice on these sorts of issues, Jason Hughes, had an illegal conflict of interest because as they were trying to decide whether to lease to own these deals, mm-hmm. he made a deal with the landlord, CGA and Sistera, Sistera essentially, that he would get 45% of the profits if, they, if the city did make this decision mm-hmm. or 45% of the cost he would pay if they didn't make this decision. And that constituted, an, according to the city attorney, an illegal conflict of interest, and thus those two deals to lease to own those two buildings should be completely voided. The city should get its money back and everything should go back. Mm -hmm. The city council president, Sean Elo Rivera, the mayor, Todd Gloria, and another city councilman, Chris Kate, wanted to settle the lawsuit, the part against CGA and Sistera, so that the city could move on with that, and they'd still have the lawsuit against this this broker, Jason Hughes, Mm -hmm. correct? Now, when they first announced this proposed settlement... I was there. You were there, that's right, <laughs> taking photos and stuff. Yeah. Well, you'll remember they were up there saying like, well, we need certainty. Right. We need to restore trust. It's not the best option, but right. this is what we have. But Voice San Diego listeners will remember that one of the guys up there, Jay Goldstone, just said something offhand about all the buildings that the city would own after the settlement occurred, Cab, Cobb, <laughs> CCP. All these buildings, remember that? Alphabet soup. Yep. And they could combine all those buildings and do something with them. That's all he's, that was, he was the only one who mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Well, Tuesday, oh, they expanded on that a lot. But first, the city attorney had her say, and boy, she blew the doors off the place. Mm-hmm. She was not into this settlement. She said, do not settle this. We can win this case. And if we win, things will go well. Here's what she said. If the city wins that case, the original deal to acquire the building is void by law. That means two things happen. First, ownership of 101 Ash reverts to Sistera. The city will no longer own a building it never should have bought. So that sounds like a good thing to people who have been following this for years, Mm -hmm. who have seen this building as a big sore thumb in city politics, right? And boy, it'd be great to just 
cut it out, just get rid of it, right. not have to deal with it. It's anymore. not part of our assets. Yes. And we don't have to deal with the problems with it anymore. We can win this. We can completely reverse this bad decision. And yeah, we have to pay a little bit, but we can get some of that back uh, because of the work and the mess up that we caused in the building. Right. Mm -hmm. So she thinks of that as an attractive offer. But I think what, again, Voice San Diego listeners mm -hmm. and what we help shine light on is that what seems to have become clear over these last several weeks is that the city council doesn't want that. When mm -hmm. she says we could win and not have to have this building, the city council's like, nah, man, right. <laughs> we kind of want the building. Well, because the reason why they bought that building is because they needed somewhere to house their city workers. Yeah, and she'll say, look, you can't put city workers in there and you won't be able to for an indefinite amount of time. So that doesn't make any sense either. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of surprised to see how much they leaned into this. But boy, they did. And led by Sean Elo Rivera. Here's what he had to say to that point. Some have said that this, this settlement will reward bad actors by having the city purchase what is currently an uninhabitable, un, uninhabitable building. I understand that sentiment. However, it ignores a key point. Full control of the properties is a goal of ours because it will aid the city in solving for multiple problems, such as office space and housing needs. Thus, by refusing this deal because we don't like the characters on the other side of the negotiating table, we essentially be punishing ourselves and prove a point. Okay, it would aid the city in solving for multiple problems such as office space and housing needs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they're really going after it. They're like, we can take this building and build homes. Yeah. And that's what they started to say. I, I was shocked watching this whole thing. The mayor's Department of Real Estate Assets and airport management chief said, we are going to build a new fire station. We're going to build a new civic theater. We're going to build a new city hall. And we're going to build a bunch of affordable housing. And 24%, 25% of all the housing we build will be affordable housing. Like they're already laying out this vast plan for a vast redevelopment of this whole area. Mm hmm and that was that became not just a side note in their proposed settlement agreement. It became the force at oh, their wow. meeting of what they wanted to do, their entire framing of why they should do it. It was fascinating to go from the, the press conference you were at right. where they're like, we just need uh, certainty. Mm -hmm. We need to restore trust. We need taxpayers need to know what's going to happen. To now, like six weeks later, they're like, actually, we want to do what is essentially the most complicated and ambitious real estate development project the city has ever embarked on. <laughs> That's all. Keep it chill. Nothing crazy. So to drive that home, even they, they even decided to give the mayor's staff a deadline mm -hmm. to come back in October, October 31st, with a vision of how they're going to do this whole redevelopment. And, and remember, the, the biggest argument against this angle is that the city can't do that because it's not good at doing things like that. What were some examples? Well, what are some examples? Yeah, Let's I remind think people. listeners of this show <laughs> are probably the most familiar with how bad the city is at real estate deals. Like mm -hmm. They even pointed, and I thought this was hilarious, they're like, we'll just do the same thing we're doing in sports arena. Because <laughs> that's gone so well. <laughs> that's the model that we're going to use. It's gone really well. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I think they think it's going well, like it's going to come together. But remember, it's literally illegal right now because they screwed it up so bad Mm -hmm. to do what they want to do at Sports Arena. They're going to try to pass it, another change to the law to make it possible and get the voters to agree. That's hardly guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And that's just one of the things wrong with like their plan to redevelop the Sports Arena area. This has a lot more moving parts. It's right in the core of downtown. There's all kinds of different... um, you know, land use issues and other requirements for the area. It's going to be a big issue. And there's a ton of people already there, like working and operating and such. It's not nearly the same thing as like the almost 50 acres of relatively open land in sports arena. So uh, allow us to be a little skeptical at their ability to pull this off. Now, Shawnee Lo Rivera, I think he's a pretty perceptive guy. Mm -hmm. He recognized that some of us would be saying something like that. and He knows us too well. (laughs) Yes, and this is what he said. And this is to address the very real concerns that there's there's not enough certainty as to what we want the properties. I'm going to make this abundantly clear. We have to deliver. Uh, Those of us who support a settlement today are betting on this city to do something that that many folks do not think we can do, and that is successfully redevelop the Civic Corps. I'm willing to make that bet, but there's going to be accountability involved. Again, Let's not undersell this. And I think it's kind of under-discussed in all this. There was so much uh, editorializing and commentary and news about the settlement through the lens of like legal issues, mm-hmm. uh, the, the cost, a- and what would happen. But there was very little of just sort of grappling with just how ambitious this really is. And that's the... He's saying there like, I know you think we can't do this, but it's a bet that we think we can do. All right. And we're going to hold people accountable. That's what he's saying, too. And we're like, you think we can't do this, but guess what? We just spent $132 million to buy these two buildings to start doing. We'll see. We actually will see because we're right at the center of it all. We will. I was just thinking that. Like, Do, <laughs> do you, you think, think they'll buy? <laughs> uh, so let me just address something else. So one of the issues that came up is like to buy the 101 Ash, especially they have to pay cash. Like like eighty million dollars of just straight cash. Mm-hmm. The just just to summarize the deal, the Sistera, the company has agreed to give back its seven million dollars or so in seven point four million dollars in profits that it made on that. Now that subtracts, by the way, that's subtracting the four million plus that Jason Hughes got out mm-hmm. of the profits. So they they they're just like we'll just do our part, even though we're the ones that gave him that check anyway. But we'll just do our part. Seven million. So that the purchase price of the buildings like eighty six million. You take cash. that seven million dollars off. That's seventy nine million dollars that the city is going to pay in cash to that. Now, you've been to the park that you've been doing some reporting on. Mm-hmm. It's not great, right? Memorial Park. It's got yep. some issues. Yes. I've been to parks around my neighborhood that have some issues as well. There. are embarrassing mm-hmm. like the infrastructure in the city is embarrassing mm-hmm. the ut did a story about this money is coming out of the capital improvement projects the just to think of it this way there's there's all of these things the city knows need to be built fire stations libraries roads that need to be rebuilt bridges uh, bathrooms at, at parks mm-hmm. so these are the cip the capital improvement projects so they're lined up think of them as buckets all across the city and the buckets are like a little bit full. And mm-hmm. until they're full, they can't actually build the thing they want. So it's out of uh, that 
bucket, the, the giant bucket that represents all those little buckets, that they're going to take $80 million and buy this building with cash. Right. And so there was a lot of people like, whoa. like <laughs> Which buckets? Is yeah, wh- yeah. What are you going to not build or delay in order to build that? And Classic City, they're like, no, 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 nothing. Nothing's going to get delayed and nothing's not going to get built because we're doing this. And so I asked them, like, what do you, like, how do you justify that? Mm-hmm. And so their argument is Classic City. They're like, well, some of the buckets aren't full, so those buckets won't be full. And so we will just make sure that any of the buckets that were close to being full, that we're already going to go for, we're going to make them full by borrowing money and they'll still get to go forward. So instead of borrowing money to buy this big building, we'll borrow money to finish those projects mm-hmm. and we'll just buy the building with cash because they're not allowed to borrow money to buy that building. And I don't need to explain why because that would be boring. <laughs> but essentially they're like, we're just going to keep everything on track that was on track by borrowing money uh-huh. and we're going to use the cash we have to buy this building. That's how committed they are. Lopez. Yes. They really wanted these buildings. Oh, yeah. Everybody who's like, why did they want to settle these lawsuits so bad? They want those buildings. They want the buildings so bad. They were really excited about getting those buildings and combining it in this like SimCity redevelopment thing they want to do. So you heard it here first. We followed it closely. A lot more mysteries and unsolved parts of this debacle that we're still going to follow. But... They bought the buildings. Actually, get this. They only have a few weeks to close to get the buildings. Mm-hmm. And then if they don't close within those few weeks, they're going to have to pay $7,000 a day in penalties to this company if they can't get the deals closed. So we'll see if they get that cash together. You can read my latest column on that settlement and all our reporting about this whole saga at vosd.org slash 101ash. That's vosd.org slash 101ash. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. So for PolitiFest this year, we are going to have the main event, mm-hmm. but we're also going to have a South Bay special satellite a couple days before. Stay tuned for information about that. We wanted to make sure we did a satellite uh, event in South Bay to cover, in particular, the Chula Vista mayor's race, which is huge. Two very different people running, John yes. McCann versus Amar Kempenajar. We've been following that. We might try to add 
uh, debate for mm-hmm. the national city race as well because this is spicy. So we have uh, Alejandra Sotela Solis. She's running against Jose Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Uh, she uh, is mayor. Yes. He's a city councilman. She has been, she's been an incumbent mayor. We already talked about how she lost the support, though, of the Imperial, San Diego Imperial County's Labor Council, the mm-hmm. Union of Unions, basically representing almost all of labor in San Diego. And now, last week, she lost the support of the Democratic Party, which decided to endorse Jose Rodriguez. Her opponent. Mm-hmm. And so, that's kind of a big deal. And... It gets down to a couple of issues that they talked about. She has stuck by the city manager that labor organizations have some trouble with, um, Brad Ralston. She was a little bit slow to sign on to a support letter to support workers at Sequan Casino mm-hmm. who wanted to be organized in, under labor unions. She ended up sending a letter, but wasn't sufficient, I think, for the labor council. They really like people to show... Like solidarity, mm-hmm. quick, and then there was this issue with uh, lowriders and the cruising ordinances. So, this we've talked about this at Barrio Logan and others, where there's there, there's a change happening where uh, this culture of cruising has been legalized and and statewide. There's an effort to sort of revitalize it and allow it and recognize mm-hmm. that it was a part celebration of celebration of culture, right? I suppose. I mean, like obviously the way it started. It's always been a celebration of people's culture, like the their the car clubs, the Latino culture, but in the past it's always been seen as like something like all these troubled kids, mm-hmm. you know, with their cars and mm-hmm. causing traffic or trouble or fights, you know. And some of that may be true, but um it's always been a celebration of culture. But now there's more of there's more support for embracing it as like a full celebration of culture and not seeing it as a negative thing or right. punishing people for doing it. Now, National City, again, Sotelis Solis is the mayor there, did also embrace that, mm-hmm. but something went wrong. Yeah, so I always I was kind of confused by this. Like when I when I saw this, you guys wrote it up in the politics report. I was kind of confused because I always thought of her as someone who was supportive and maybe that's still true but um basically national city banned uh cruising and um there's you know like this decades ago yeah decades ago and there's this efforts from different car clubs to you know get get that band removed because they want to celebrate their culture they're like hello this was like a racist band like come on let's get it together like what year is it and i always thought that that like everybody was pretty much supportive of that. And that's what it seems like to me. But um, so the national city did have like its big cruise. The union tribune did a really cool video on it with like people everywhere celebrating their culture with their beautiful cars. Um, I think she was there. I don't remember exactly, but after that first event, which was kind of like a test to see, you know, could this be kind of a, some sort of celebration they could do ever so often uh, they were, you know, served with like a big price tag as to like, okay, well, you'll have to pay for this. You'll have to pay for police to, you know, oversee the event, whatever. And obviously these are small car clubs, smaller organizations that can't afford that big of a price tag. So they're not going to do it anymore. So it's, you know, the ban is like they're pushing to get rid of the ban, but also like with these big hefty fees, well, they just can't have it. It's like a together. soft ban at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
But I mean, the city's argument and as well as hers, I believe, was that like this is no different. You know, charging them is no different than what they would charge another organization for having a big event like that. Because it does, you know, it is it's a big event. You need police officers to patrol and control traffic. So but it is kind of like a soft ban. Yeah. So all of that added up and Alejandro Sotelo Solis is in trouble politically if these two big organizations actually mobilize also not just their their money and resource, but their voters to oppose her reelection and support mm-hmm. Jose Rodriguez, he could very well oust her. And it's very hard for incumbents to lose these elections, but that's kind of how you do it. Mm-hmm. But I don't, it's it's kind of odd also because there's not like huge scandals. Yeah. Like this is, a, this is a political problem like you just described. But is that the kind of huge scandal that can really lead to an incumbent like that getting ousted? Right. And she has a lot of support, right? From right. from big names. Yeah, she does. And, and she... She said part of the problem might be that she supported David Alvarez for the assembly. Mm-hmm. Again, it gets back to a lot of these alliances that are down there of like, you know, he, uh, David Alvarez is seen as more conservative, uh, mm-hmm. uh, less focused and supportive of labor issues. And uh, and his opponent, Georgette Gomez, was more progressive and supportive of labor. And does that carry over into that? And did they, did they create the wrong enemies or whatever? Mm-hmm. So that was there. Um, but uh, could be a really interesting race. Now, look, she was on the fast track also to like regional leadership positions, she, mm-hmm. you know, Sandag, all these places where she was starting to take a leadership role. So if she's ousted, that changes that dramatically. Yeah, but also one thing I learned, especially from covering the Chula Vista mayor's race, I think even our listeners you know, heard me talk about this, how um, I felt that it would definitely be Amar and maybe, and I couldn't tell who the second person was, but I certainly didn't think that it was going to be um, Encarnacion, even though she had a lot of support from a lot of like big names and endorsements. And um, but I just I knew I wasn't hearing her name. Like right. people in the community were not talking about her. Anytime I mentioned her, they were like, "Oh, I still got to do my research on her." So I don't know. I'm not super familiar with National City, but I'd be curious to see. You know, maybe in like the little bubble of politics and unions, it seems like the loss of their support. It's certainly significant, but I'd be curious to see what's going on yeah, in the community. Yeah, it reflect the larger reality. Yeah, because yeah. she's she's known as their mayor, and to have like a Latina mayor, I mean, that's not totally. Yeah, she's very present. Insignificant. Yeah, yeah. she's very present in the community too. So. Well, we will see how that uh, pans out. Um, we first broke that story in the politics report. You can get that by being a member of Voice San Diego, and it's worth it, right? Super. You enjoy reading it every Friday when we give it to you perfectly <laughs> on deadline, right? <laughs> Absolutely. All right, just uh, there is some more South Bay uh, political intrigue as well. So we've been talking, we talked last week about the new tests that the county had rolled out for beach water quality issues and the concern, you know, that if, if there's too much bacteria in the water, mm-hmm. could make people sick. And thus, you have to close beaches sometimes. They rolled out a new test that instead of just counting the bacteria as it grows in you know, petri dishes when they pull it out of the water, they are actually testing and can tell how much DNA mm-hmm. of this bacteria is in the water and thus make the same conclusions. But that DNA test is clearly more sensitive or something is going on that makes it so that the water quality has been deemed unsafe for more Mm-hmm. more time, more areas, especially in Imperial Beach and in Coronado. Now, we talked about how Mayor 
Cor- or Mayor Richard Bailey in Coronado was very frustrated with this because it started to look like they might have to close some of the beaches there in, uh, around July 4th in the summertime when usually they have to close beaches in the winter when it rains and the, mm-hmm. the sewage from the wastewater from Tijuana flows into uh, the northern parts of or the nor- more north parts of uh, the border area. And so this was indicative that that dynamic had changed. It wasn't just a winter problem, but was now going to be an all the time problem. Mm-hmm. We had talked about how Imperial Beach mm-hmm. was in a different role. They're like, good, you need to deal with right. this problem. Like we've, t- we've been talking about this. Right. We've been raising alarm about this for so long, finally. But that was one of the people, one of the workers, mm-hmm. uh, employees at, uh, at uh, you know, in charge of water quality issues at Imperial Beach, not on the same page as his mayor, Mm-mm. Serge Dedina. Again, Serge Dedina is one of the city council members known as the mayor. So it's not, he's not the boss of this guy. Mm-hmm. But Serge Dedina has now signed a letter with Richard Bailey telling the county to stop with this new test. They say, quote, this test, the previous test, is tried and true, and the public understands its operations and degrees of risk. In some, it has been working. So go back to the old one. Mm-hmm. But that drew a rebuke from Supervisor Nora Vargas, the county supervisor of the area. She said it was people like Serge Dedina, who's been working on this sewage issue for decades, who asked the county for improved pollution monitoring at beaches in the first place. She said, quote, if cities want to regress in water testing methods that potentially risk the health and safety of beachgoers, they can directly petition for a change to the old testing method at the state level. Mm-hmm which is kind of a backhanded way. Like if you want people to get hurt, yeah. you can send a letter to the state. <laughs> uh, this seems like a big deal. So the Imperial Beach's environmental and natural resources director, Chris Helmer, is the one who said that they they support the test. Mm-hmm. So Dedina's like, no, we don't want that. Um, and now there's this, it's turned into more of a political problem than just this question about science. Yeah. Moral of the story is, I'm not going to the beach. <laughs> At least in Coronado. Anywhere. Okay. I hate the freeways over there. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in San Diego. Get the newsletter for this podcast at vosd.org slash pod. That's vosd.org slash pod. In that, you get updates when we drop bonus episodes, extra details and show notes about the stories we covered and more. Subscribe at vosd.org slash pod. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego. Andrea Lopez Villafaña is our managing editor. Adam Greenfield is our technician today. And Nate John is our expert producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.